You ever been to Connecticut, Noel? Yes, I think. Um, maybe. Or I've driven through on the way to get to New Hampshire and Vermont, maybe. Does this movie make you want to go back there? Or? Fuck no. Oh my god, fuck no. Um, <laughs> if what I'm going to experience when I head to Connecticut is like... E-grade movie making and a bunch of tiny red puppets that try to eat my ass in the woods. I am probably not down <laughs> to head to Connecticut. You think this is the worst movie that we've watched, don't you? I absolutely think that this is in the running for top shit movie we have ever seen on this podcast. It has to be in top five. Like, I don't even think we can debate that it's not in the top five. I still think Tanker was worse, but that's just me. You can just go fuck yourself with that comment. You're just looking for trolling suggestions right now. I'm already fired up. You don't need to go there. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today, we are discussing Attack of the Beast Creatures, which apparently was a regional film shot uh, entirely in the state of Connecticut. And uh, I don't know, man. You're a puppet lover. Do you get what you came for on this one or what? You are an incredible fucking tease. You brought me into this movie mentioning. <laughs> I've never seen it, man. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Miami Connection. One original. I never film, mentioned two Miami puppets. Connection. No, 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 no. Was this a request? Did somebody ask for this? Dude, here's what it is. Did you spend real money on this? Listen. What happened? How did this become a part of my life? Listen, so the way this works, we're going to peel back the curtain here a little bit for all of our listeners. Sometimes we hear about movies that we've never seen. And they sound good, and we watch them, and, you know, it's not a foolproof system. Sometimes the movies are dog shit, and uh, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but <laughs> I don't regret uh, purchasing this on high-quality Blu-ray from the fine folks of Vinegar Syndrome. I mean, regret is certainly something that is, like, to each person, Um I guess we're going to save a little bit till the end because I don't want to give everything away. You're going to have to tell me whether you'd watch this again at the end of our podcast. But I'll tell you right now. I'll watch it again. Not anytime soon, but I'll watch it again. It's only 80 minutes. What's the problem? It doesn't take, it doesn't take much of your life. Oh. <laughs> All right, listen. <laughs> Let's get this train back on the tracks here. You may not care for this movie. But I'm sure you're excited about the beer that we are pairing with this movie. I, I absolutely am excited to drink this beer. This is the Creature Feature IPA. It's from the Good Robot, the people at the Good Robot Brewing Company. They're out of Halifax. They're in Nova Scotia. East Coast, Canada. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of cool. We don't get a ton of beers from the East Coast, but it seems like this brewery has quite a bit of reach, which is pretty cool. They get all the way to our LCBOs. Uh, they have a little quote on their website that I wanted to read because I thought it sort of said a lot about the brewery. It says, let your freak flag fly and leave your adult pants at the door at Halifax's weirdest and least nautical theme brewery, tap room and beer gardens there you go and i believe unless i'm wrong this is actually an award-winning beer like they i think they've like second place in some kind of canadian beer championships that was uh, i believe mentioned there as well i'll take your word on that and i i have had this before 
I'm looking forward to drinking it again with a bit more of a reflective lens, seeing how I feel about it, and, and we'll talk about it at the end. I can only assume it's going to be better than the experience of watching this movie, though. I am not looking forward to drinking it for the record because, as everyone knows, I am not an IPA guy, but it can't be all about me. If you're unsatisfied with the movie, you should hopefully at least be satisfied with the beer. Uh, what do you say we crack this open? Done. We begin somewhere in the North Atlantic, May 1920, and we start off with a lot of screaming. We see why immediately. There's a sinking ship which leads us to the title, Hell Island. Wait, what? <laughs> so we witness the sinking of the Titanic because it's the 1920s and we are right there. Like, I, I honestly feel like that is what they're showing us on screen is that the people here were a part of the Titanic. They couldn't say it for copyright reasons, but nowhere in here does it say attack of the beast creatures. No, we've had this before a couple of times where like a low budget release fails to attract attention on its first run. They would like retitle it to try and like stir up interest in a second screening or in like the home video market. I have to assume that's what happened here. But yeah, really a uh, big curveball for the two of us. You mean Hell Island wasn't enough of a pull here? Maybe the problem was people got too excited when they heard that and their imagination ran wild and they needed to kind of bring it back down to earth by being like, well, you know, it's not everything you could imagine. It's only going to be some beast creatures attacking. Kind of like when you imagine Jason going to hell, but 0% of the movie is in hell. <laughs> you're still on this, eh? Two weeks ago on our podcast, Jason uh, did not quite go to hell and you're still upset about it. Yeah. I can't let it go. I can't let it go. I will not. I will not let that fucking go. How is there no <laughs> hell in... There's no hell in either of these movies. Neither movie takes place in hell. Getting back to the story here, people are just piling There's into a... There's a story? All right. You're going to say that. <laughs> uh, people are just piling into a lifeboat in between the credits. And unfortunately for the members of one particular boat named Obelisk, they are drifting away from everyone else. Now they take turns standing watch, but we know they're destined not to be found by any ship, but to find themselves on Hell Island, I guess. Again, I did not know that was the original title of this movie until right now. <laughs> yeah, there is just so much screaming. We're getting, like, really bad synth music as the intro is pouring over here well hang it's, on really bad i mean there's nothing good about this it doesn't even seem to fit the tone of what's happening i don't know it seemed vaguely ominous it was like uh if nothing else ambient i don't know all of this is taking way too fucking long it's also very very slow oh get used to that that's going to be a recurring theme as we go through so this. we're having this intro which is like a 17 minute intro in an 80 minute movie <laughs> It's taking forever. They're on a boat called Obelisk, and we're introduced to a character which we have decided to call Caesar because it's this <laughs> old grumpy man who thinks he's better than everything else, and he appears to be Julius Caesar. I'm just calling him Caesar. He has a very regal bearing. Mr. Morgan is his actual name, as we'll find out later, but I know what you mean. I did not object when you referred to him that way. Uh, this lifeboat, Obelisk, washes up on the shore of some island somewhere, and the passengers exit, except for one gentleman named Mr. Bruin, who appears to be dead. But he's not really, but then he might as well be, according to the guy you just called Caesar. As these people all just start arguing with each other, each one trying to prove that they alone are the worst actor in this movie. You, aren't you going to help us? You're wasting your time. 
the man's as good as dead. We've got to look out for ourselves. That guy's got a lot of nerve. I'd like to get him. Let's get this man comfortable. It's already getting off to quite a hot start. The 17-minute boat intro and then the terrible act-off as they approach shore with Caesar yelling. We find a character who seems to be the leader of the people who survived named John, who might be the worst actor of all time. Uh, Nope, that's the kid from Bloodsport. (laughs) which we reviewed in our first season that kid with only one acting credit to his name the worst ever i stand by this and i will argue this for the rest of my life i would um put john's acting against Bloodsport kids acting in an active bet for most things in my life let's do it yeah chug bet i okay active chug bet someone decide for cooper and i who is worse no one's seen attack of the beast creatures come on man from attack of the beast creatures or the kid from Bloodsport. I would like there to be some kind of evidence that you've seen both, um, and we will like we will fulfill this bet. I'm happy to fulfill it. <laughs> you say so. As soon as you see the kid in Bloodsport again, you'll be like, oh, yeah, you'll just open a beer and start chugging it. You'll know right away. I feel very confident about this, by if the way. If you watch this movie, if anyone can get a hold of it, and I, I hope you can't because I feel bad for you if you <laughs> Come can. Come on, man. Then... <laughs> I don't regret playing this. We just talked about this. Listen. After a quick look at a local spider, the surviving members of that lifeboat trudge through the woods looking for some sign of civilization. We get a little backstory on uh, Mr. Morgan, a.k.a. Caesar here. It turns out he was on this boat for medical reasons. See, his wife can't walk anymore, and he's traveling to go find a cure for her. And I don't know about you, but I immediately flash back to FDR, American Badass here, which we also watched in our first season. You think that lady has polio or what? I mean... Why would you send yourself off on the Titanic looking for a solution for polio is a confusing thing for me. But, well, what, you know. but, but whatever the cure is, like, why is she not with him? Is he just going to go? Is, do you think it's like some kind of like an elixir that he can bring back to her? Like, I don't make that makes no sense to me. I think he told her he would go have sex with 10 women. And when he returned, she would be cured. And so that's sort of his journey. Yeah, (laughs) they keep wandering until a somewhat rotund member of the party finds some berries and eats them, which seems like a straight up terrible move. Also a terrible move, his far too short suit jacket sleeves. Dude is showing double cuff as he stuffs his face here, but he pauses to comfort an elderly lady named Mrs. Gordon, whose husband was going to be meeting her at the dock had the ship successfully arrived at its destination. And was it my imagination or did he maybe try to make a move on her there? So, this character, I think his name is Phil. He's got, like you said, a too small jacket and suit. He also was rocking this strangely short collar. You know when it kind of just points down into tiny triangles rather than actually covering your tie? He's gorging all of these fucking berries he finds. He doesn't care if they're poisoned or not. He's hungry. Just like he is for gilf because he is ready to mow down on fucking Mrs. Gordon if she's willing because he is putting the move on her super hard. So it wasn't just me then. You also thought that he was putting the moves on her, yeah? Oh, absolutely. He he would have laid her down in a field of thorns and just oh, fucking went to town because he did not care. Oh That's kind of ironic considering what happens very soon. Uh, we bounce back and forth with a couple of other characters now, getting the absolute minimum amount of character development in the form of each of their motivations for being on the ship, while in the background we hear unmistakable rustling sounds coming from the bushes. Before we can find out what that is, though, one traveler sees what he believes to be fresh water and gleefully runs toward it. How does that work out for him? <laughs> <laughs> 
This might be the best moment in the movie. Do you think so? The effects are like pretty decent, I thought. Yeah. So this guy runs towards fresh water. He's thirsty. He hasn't had any in a while. And he plunges his face and arms into it. And we immediately get a fucking melted face makeup. And it's actually quite good. Yeah. I would say the practical effects on this makeup are quite tremendous whoever does the work here you deserve a high five because you fucking knocked it out of the park now that doesn't continue though because this guy i was gonna say you might want to pump the brakes there this guy starts struggling from putting his face in the water and then the whole body falls in the water and then immediately we transition to very poor skeletal makeup with some blood on it you're saying skeletal makeup, it's just a fucking, like, skeleton. This is, like, we watched Deathbed, The Bed That Eats, in season one also. People go back and listen. That one's a fun episode. But, like, that's the level of special effects we're getting after the face melt. It's just a fucking, like, doctor's office skeleton with some fucking shit smeared on it. Yeah, and Deathbed was from, like, the 60s? 70s maybe uh it was also from the 70s i believe this is actually 85 which fucking surprised the hell out of me this to me felt more like 1974 the quality of this movie seems like it should have been a decade before it was actually released for sure and the effects on the body slash skeleton slash biology project in the water are really really bad like it does not come off well which is sad because the melty face effect was tremendous if they've been able to put the time and effort from that into the rest of it this movie had potential but it did not pull it off i actually think this is the best makeup and or like moment in the entire fucking movie I don't necessarily agree this is the best moment in the movie, but it's definitely the best makeup. Now, a couple of the women who are on board that boat are upset, so the heavyset guy shows up to console them because apparently he's casting a wide net here, and they bury the dead guy's body while speculating on what exactly the deal with this island is. Spoiler alert, they will never, ever guess. (laughs) They don't know. Like, come on. Yeah, None of them drop Hell Island as a word like we didn't get that as a it would have been nice if they had revealed the text worked the title in there yeah what we get is them burying poor pat and is that his name yep his name is pat oh, i didn't know i did not know that good on you yeah you know i i got this i got this i'm i'm really locked in and following all of the character development in this fucking movie um <laughs> so john the leader is trying to pull them all together right now as they're grieving pat's loss and Our friend Phil is, like you said, trying to hook up with all of the chicks, including our gilf, because she's really hurt by this loss. She had kind of connected with Pat a bit, and they're all kind of going through that grieving moment when what comes out of the bushes to attack her? Well, I was going to say, if she was hurt by fucking that guy Pat's death, she's about to be more hurt in a second. Everyone decides to go scavenging for more of those berries since they're going to need food. And while they're doing it, that old lady gets bitten on the hand by something. We don't see what it is yet. But our main character, John, who I will admit is probably one of the 10 worst actors I've ever seen, but not as bad as a kid in Bloodsport, reassures her before deciding to go round up supplies from the boat. Now, old Caesar, Mr. Morgan, accuses him of finding an excuse to leave the rest of them here on this godforsaken island, which causes John to have to dress him down. Morgan... The one thing that bothers me is that of all the poor souls on that ship worth saving, we had to pull you from the water. And if that doesn't prove that bad actor thing, I don't know what will, man. John is not strong. Oh, God, no. He's already had a terrible line where he called Mrs. Gordon a strong woman. 
John and the other guy, I think his name is Casey. He's the one who has a dirty ass the entire time. Like his white pants are covered <laughs> yeah. in shit the entire movie. <laughs> there, is, there is a noticeable like brown stain in the back of his pants. It's not even noticeable. It is clear evidence of ass shitting. Um, you sat in like, muddy. I, all I can assume is when the Titanic hit the fucking iceberg, Casey shit his pants. And it's been there since. Like he couldn't clean it up after so <laughs> all right so casey casey's got full brown pants and him and john are gonna head back to go under each other and grab some supplies <laughs> before they like move on with a better plan yeah but when they head down there uh casey happens to notice something on the beach it's a dead body or at least it's supposed to be but in reality that's like a cheap halloween skeleton they just like splash some red paint on this is probably even worse than that guy who went in the fucking uh, lake skeleton oh yeah this one is brutal it's clear that this is not a real fucking body but it's not worse than what is about to come for the next 20 minutes of the film uh. which is <laughs> A whole bunch of exposition, a whole bunch of them talking behind a fucking fire. Yeah, and that fire, uh, the, whoever did the sound mixing for this, they were shooting on like the other side of the fire and they clearly didn't have other microphones because the fire is the loudest thing in these scenes. I would just describe it as like a far too loud campfire. And that night, John tells the heavy guy whose name is Phil... Uh, about the dead body and in return phil tells him about the bite on old mrs gordon's hand that's no animal bite phil says and at this point you and i both are just dying for the beast creatures to show up i just want everyone to die so this can be over i'm tired of hearing them talking behind the fires i am listening hard to try to understand their conversations i don't understand what's going on thankfully thank Fucking God, we get some glowing eyes, which tell me we're transitioning out of the, like, building phase of this movie into the murdering phase, because it's about fucking time. Yeah, what you're saying is true. We do get a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, exposition, or at least more insight into some of these characters. Some of them are optimistic about being rescued. Mr. Morgan is a very grumpy and resigned and then spending the rest of the days here. But they decide to take turns keeping watch, including... A particularly nervous girl who we saw earlier who definitely was not wearing a bra. We noticed that immediately. She is doing her shift when she happens to notice some glowing eyes in the distance, which you alluded to. She quickly tries to wake up that Casey guy, but he does not stir, at least not until their camp is swarmed, swarmed by the beast creatures. And having finally seen these things, what was your first impression of them? I was fucking ecstatic. Yeah, right? We see her get bit in the ass, which is pretty fucking funny. <laughs> These things are not afraid to bite somebody in the like lower extremities. No, they're biting low because no they are bites, tiny. Though. We didn't get any bites. That was a little disappointing. Ooh, if we got a bite, that would have been pretty classy. I think it's too early for that Like in a like timeline of the world. I feel you like You can't start off with a bite. You got nowhere to go. Well, and you can't bite dicks in the 1920s, right? Like, that would have been crass. That couldn't have gone over the line, right? <laughs> nobody's biting dicks in the 20s? No, nobody's biting dicks in the, the 20s. The roaring 20s? So, so we see these small... Like, I actually kind of think it's hilarious at this point because it basically looks like glowing eyes on dicks. This chick gets bit <laughs> in the ass by a glowing eyed dick, and then they just start flying around the screen. It literally looks like a bunch of dicks biting so, people. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I want to clarify... <laughs> Because it's nighttime, 
the, these beast creatures, the puppets all have like black hair, but you can't see the hair because it's so dark. So they do look uh, very phallic in appearance. They're like slender and like they seem to have like a rounded head. <laughs> Don't sugarcoat. This is a bunch of penises flying around the screen biting people. And it's amazing. Like this, actually, I said an, an earlier scene was the best scene in the movie. But this scene where a bunch of penises are biting everybody is Pretty fantastic, if we're going to be honest. I still don't think we're there yet, man. I think there's a better scene coming later. But uh, these puppets are a little ridiculous on first sight. Now, the boat passengers managed to ward them off after several hilarious minutes, but they've taken some damage here. A couple of bites and scratches, along with a serious injury to Mr. Morgan. Now, they need to make a plan, and John has got one. Our best bets are either head for a higher ground or get back down to the boat. Boat? What if we go out in the water? How can we survive? Phil, we don't stand a chance if we stay on this island. Everybody's going to have a say in that decision. Even Morgan? Even Morgan. John really just pulling them together here in the summer of 1920. Remember how this movie set in 1920? Why do those people sound like they're from the mid-80s? <laughs> well, you know, regional theater... I do want to say here, you kind of blew by the end of that night. The crew here, the people on the island, did survive by whacking off a whole bunch of... They had to whack off all those puppets. They whacked them right off their body. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they whacked off all those... And it got them through. Now, John's (laughs) pulling together as a leader here. And he calls it a democracy. He does not want to strand anyone. Everyone gets a say. And they're going to decide... Are they going to head to the boat on the shore and take off again? Or are they going to move to high ground after collecting some food and regrouping there? This is where we're heading after the night of the attack of the glowy-eyed Well, if you couldn't tell from that audio, we just played a fucking John. Of course everyone follows him. The guy has got charisma for days. And the next morning, they surveyed the scene. <laughs> but oh, my they- God. <laughs> <laughs> I just spit my beer everywhere. <laughs> That that might be the most offensive thing you've said in the entire podcast we've ever done together. The charisma on John is a negative 10. Oh my gosh. Well, he convinces all the people, man. They survey the scene and they do decide to head to higher ground. And it's good they do because what they don't know is that the beast creatures have pushed their boat out to sea. Or rather, the team of puppeteers operating the beast creatures had moved them like alongside the boat while a gaffer or crew member actually pushes out to sea. This shot did not even look a little bit real. You're saying that, and I don't disagree, but what I will say about this movie, you never see a hand or puppeteer or someone moving the puppets. There's nothing. The only way you see interacting with these little creatures is when the actors are trying to make one of them interact with themselves. And that's bad. Like, when they do that, it sucks ass. But for the most part, I will give the crew of this regional Connecticut film credit. The way that they have dealt with filming the creatures keeps that kind of hope alive that they're real. They actually, like, I mean, I know we know they're not real, and I know that they are pretty shit in their design in general, but they do a decent job of not demonstrating that humans are moving or functioning these creatures. Okay, that's fair, but you cannot tell me this shot where they push the boat out to sea looks like it's really happening. No, no. And and it happens rather quickly. They do not probably give it the amount of time it deserves. They need to figure out how to better balance what shots are important versus what shots are 
purely padding and beyond building tension because there are certain shots in this film that last absolutely like ages that should be cut down by at least 10 minutes uh, i agree but they are not going to figure that out by the end of this movie no they never do they never do hey, no. you know what else is not even a little bit real the conviction in mr morgan's voice when he tells the rest of the passengers you're not gonna leave me on this island alone you're not you're not morgan you're not morgan and the oscar for best supporting actor goes to with julius caesar that guy fucking sucks that guy's the shits he's the Although, drizzling hold on. shits i he sucks but if we're looking at the like complete cast of this you can't tell me you're not believing caesar's performance more than any of the other actors on this uh, <laughs> you know what that is a good point by you i have no, I have no argument for that Yeah, you can't defend <laughs> anyone else more than caesar i actually think that despite him yeah. being a grumpy old piece of shit character he is the most well-acted character in this entire cast like, Shitty Pants Casey might be a close second, but there's nobody else who even competes <laughs> other second. than Shit Pants yeah. Casey and Caesar. Those are the two best actors <laughs> in this entire film. I would love to argue with you, but I legitimately can't do it. Uh, the crew sets off now, though, to find food or shelter or higher ground, and we get a lot of point-of-view shots from the jungle and some hard zooms on both puppets, which are hilarious, and what appears to be empty forest. This is all interspersed with low-grade puppet attacks. They are darting in and out of frame to occasionally bite people, but Mr. Morgan knows how to handle this. He picks up a big rock and just throws it at one of them. His accuracy is fantastic. He, like, really builds some suspense here as he picks up this rock. We're walking along boringly for at least, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes here, and it's going really poorly. He does smash one with a rock, and then, unfortunately, one of them falls down and bites one of the women. Oh, man, everyone gets bitten. And what's crazy is you talked about how long certain sequences take. This sequence lasts for literally one-eighth of this movie. They are just spending a huge amount of time walking through the woods, occasionally getting attacked. There's cuts to puppets and trees screeching until finally we get some excitement when Mrs. Gordon, that old lady that you keep referring to as a gilf, who also has apparently forgotten about the guy whose face got melted earlier, starts drinking from a nearby river. The actor playing John summons up all the gravitas he can muster to remind her, You could have been killed! <laughs> but, but it turns out this is actually water and everything's fine. What is not fine, we find out in the next scene, though, is Mr. Morgan's leg. Oh, oh my goodness, yeah. Uh... The drama that's being created here, right? She dares drink from a stream which turns into a river after it is clearly clean water. All the girls get in there and start splashing each other in fits of joy. The men are arguing as Morgan's leg is clearly not in good shape after being bit by one of the little creatures that they're not sure about. This whole section took like 25 minutes, and I would say at least a quarter of this film is just shots of people walking through walking the woods Walking through the woods, man. Yeah, I agree. And I understand it's a regional production, but this is just far too much of this <laughs> and not enough moving along the story. I'm begging for them to get eaten by these little puppets. I'm like, come on, puppeteers, break story. Just run out of the fucking woods and start gouging and eating these fucking people who i care nothing about because they built no character well mr morgan's leg gets fucking attacked a bunch oh yeah his legs fucked and he's gonna die <laughs> and he is as useless as his wife now apparently i don't know that's that's fair i guess 
Uh, speaking of legs, Mrs. Gordon decides to take off her compression stockings and dip her bare legs in the water. I guess she wanted to remember what it felt like to be a young girl in the 1860s <laughs> when she suddenly <laughs> finds herself surrounded by beast creatures. They jump all over her and the other boat passengers. And by that, I mean a stagehand clearly just throws puppets onto them from off screen. This part was fucking ridiculous. So this was funny. Yeah, we get a bunch of those puppets just flying across the screen. I mean, there were so many puppets going after her. They were clearly as thirsty as Fat Philip was when he was trying to get down with her, too. <laughs> so this is just where we're at right now, right? The puppets beat Fat Philip to the score. This might have been a better ending for her than Fat Philip inside of her because I think that would have turned out ugly as well. Oh, fuck, man. i to bleep most of that. Uh, this, <laughs> but this, this sequence is so unrealistic. Like, the actors are clearly just making these things move in every single shot when they're on their bodies, and nobody looks like they're actually in trouble here. But... As this all ends, we see that poor Mrs. Gordon has succumbed to her wounds. She is dead. And you know who isn't happy about that? That gilf lover, Phil. (laughs) So all of this is a lot, right? We've got all of these shitty puppets being tossed at them. I'm happy people are dying because that tells me we're getting closer to a resolution of this film. I'm sad to see Mrs. Gordon go, but you know what? It's okay because we're moving forward here. Are any of the others hurt after this crazy attack, or are we just fine? I mean, they're a little dinged up, uh, but it's not going to stop them from doing more forest walking. You mentioned moving ahead. They're just going to go right back into what they were doing for the last 20 minutes. They all pledge to get the hell out of there and start their long trek to wherever the fuck they're going. But, of course, they get attacked some more, including Caesar himself, as Mr. Morgan gets bitten again by a beast creature that pops up out of the ground, which causes him to become rabid, I guess, as he starts foaming at the mouth before attacking one of the ladies and running off into the woods. He cannot take it anymore, clearly. And despite John's heroic protests... Morgan! He jumps into one of those acid pools and becomes immediately skeletonized. He tries to choke out one of the ladies and then starts foaming at the mouth. And then we get some really bad synth as he yells at everyone. We're all happy because Caesar was a fucking annoying character and that's another person down. All of this happens in a very dramatic yet unconvincing way. Oh yeah, it's not realistic at all. Uh, And to your point, everyone's ready for this to happen, so they all move on very quickly, which is not surprising because the guy was uh, a bit of a douche. And so we get even more forest walking now where they try to squeeze in a little bit of romantic interest. That lady John was about to nail earlier, I think her name might be Diane or Kathy. It's not totally clear which is which as we go through this. Either way, she apologizes for being so hysterical and promises him she'll get it together. But just as their burgeoning relationship gets on solid ground... Casey falls off solid ground as he slips off a ledge he clearly should have seen and holds on for dear life in what, sadly and hilariously, might be the most dramatic part of this movie. He's hanging there for like three seconds. This is like a really, again, a really fucking low bar. You're talking about the moment where he's coming back from the beach after... No, realizing- we're not there yet. We're not. We're almost there, but we're not there yet. He just slips and falls. He's like hanging, and you're like, this is the most dramatic moment in the whole movie. You said it, not me. I'm just stealing your shit. I don't even remember this. Like, that's how little that's an impact this made on me. Like, this, the Casey moment of him hanging where I declared it the most dramatic, I don't even remember. It's got to be less dramatic than when Fat Phil falls on a stick. That's all well, I'm Well, we're say. getting to that. Don't we're gonna, you worry. We're coming there soon. Yeah. 
Uh, after saving Casey from that microsecond of danger that you long ago forgot about, they continue on, finally reaching the higher ground that John spoke of, only to find dozens of the beast creatures worshipping a shrine, which is so clearly a model that I almost can't believe it. I mean, I can believe it because of literally everything else we've seen in this movie, but it's still ridiculous. But what's even more ridiculous is what all the passengers decide to do when they see this. <laughs> so... The model itself was, like, made from a shoebox. This is like a grade school diorama they create to, like, <laughs> pray to, which is pretty terrible. Um, when they see them all praying, instead of deciding to, like, attack and take them out uh, when they're distracted, they decide to scream and run back to the boat. Yeah, so much for higher ground, eh? They fucking bail on that immediately. It was brutal. You're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, go grab these tiny little dolls and kick the shit out of them or run away and get attacked in the forest in which you must assume they know better than you. Oh, and they do. And so we get an absurd chase scene here. There's intense synth music playing as we alternate between shots of the passengers running away, two or three repeating shots of a couple of puppets chasing them, and a few point-of-view shots of those same puppets as they pursue them uh, intently. And this all reaches an incredible crescendo, though, when, as you mentioned a second ago, Phil trips and falls on the one place in the whole forest where a stick is pointing straight up from the ground. He impales himself on this thing like a meaty, talentless kebab, and with time running out, <laughs> John tells Casey and however many of the girls are still alive to head to the beach where they'll take their chances in that lifeboat they think is still there. There's a moment here when they start running from the creatures and we get the music and we get them like fleeing that you're like, there's something here. But the problem is they carry that moment on that like 30 seconds to a minute of film for at least 10 minutes where you're like, is something going to happen? And then it does. We get at least Phil falling on a stick and we get him acting dramatically as he's been impaled by this. And there is actually something to that scene. Yeah. The acting sucks. This this thing sucks. The acting sucks. The writing sucks. But Phil falling on the stick and dying gives us a bit of a moment. Why they don't just let him die? They drag it on again too long like everything else in this fucking film. But... <laughs> They give us something here, and you're just like, okay, I, I have glimpses of something. And then they go back to the exact same music and shots of them running away from these little puppets. That is true. Now, Casey makes it to the beach, but he will not see a glimpse of that fucking lifeboat because we know it's already been pushed out to sea by the puppets. Uh, the girls, on the other hand, do not quite make it there. They end up in a small clearing where they see several puppets staring them down, and despite one of them taking a brave stand, I think that was the girl that John was trying to nail. I don't even fucking know. Diane, I the think. The puppets absolutely maul them. I think Diane sacrificed herself so Kathy can go f*** John. Like, that's what I think is left here. <laughs> I mean, Maybe. But these ladies get fucking destroyed by these puppets. And with no boat to be found, Casey tries to run back to where everyone else is only to trip again and fall again, this time into a shallow pit where he is completely piled on by beast creatures. Now, he almost manages to climb out, but another puppet gets tossed onto his face from off screen, and it sends him back down to certain death. 
but at least Kathy and John are still alive. So are those puppets picking people off based on acting ability or? Yeah, they're taking off all the talent first. They work top down. They're, and yeah, they're, they're down absolutely killing all the best talent, right? They they killed yeah. first. They filled Caesar, who was the best actor for sure. They killed the Gilf, who was second best well, they, actor. I was going to say, they got Mrs. Gordon first, I think. Either one. Those two were like 1A and 1B. They were the best <laughs> actor or actress in this entire thing. And then they moved backwards towards the shitty talent. I have to assume that Casey's death in this pit was, like, a pit that was dug by the creatures, right? Like, they set him up for death here. This is not, like, a random natural pit. He falls into one that was set up for him to die in. I have no idea. It's impossible to tell at this point. I mean, if you told me they were setting traps, I believe you told me it was dumb luck. I'd believe you, too. So there's no there's no rhyme or reason. You, you don't know. So we've got the worst two actors left. We've got John and Kathy, I think. We get a shot back to Kathy and Diane struggling in the woods. And we say Diane just fucking ravaged by these little puppet creature things. We get a lot of shots, actually, back to earlier parts of the movie, which is, again, a sure sign they're trying to pad this thing out. We get shots of the original guy with the fucking face melting and some other stuff. So they're there again. They're just going to remind us of every all the horrors that have happened here on this island. But John and Kathy, after making a run for it, do in fact arrive at the beach where Kathy inexplicably sprawls out in like an oddly sexual position. Or maybe I'm just seeing what I wanted to at this point. Now, inexplicably, there's another lifeboat with a couple of random guys there waiting for them, and it scoops them up before we instantly hit the credits. I don't know what happened here. Like, the fuck? We will say the Titanic was a big boat, and there were lots of lifeboats that come off of it. If it actually was the Titanic, that'd be fucking amazing. Like, for the record, that <laughs> because would really lend That's the this. only fucking ex- explanation here is because there's two, go- two very mustachioed guys show up in a lifeboat at the perfect time to save John and Kathy. Kathy and John have been through hell. They are the worst actors in this entire movie, but they are going to make it out. They've been through Hell Island. They've Uh been through Hell Island. (laughs) And we literally get them in the boat. Like, I think Kathy's not even fully in the boat before we hit the credits. Yeah, it comes out of fucking nowhere. eh? This is, like, so strange. And honestly, at this point, I don't know, man, like that 80 minutes for me, it flew by. I for you, it sounds like longer, but just a thoroughly ridiculous piece of regional filmmaking like this is just I don't even know. You, you called it a grade E movie. It might be like it's not a B movie. It's lower than a B for sure. The storytelling, the acting, the cinematography like whatever goes into this has to be lower than the majority of high school productions you have ever seen you (laughs) you were saying that you believe we could make a better movie than this in our fucking backyard and i don't totally disagree with you so this seems like a perfect time for us to transition to our ratings uh the way we always do this we rate the movie a scale of one to ten two times one to ten for how bad it is one to ten for how enjoyable and the goal is to find movies that are a ten out of ten on both scales or what we call the Crit 20. And I am going to, we're going to break procedure here. I'm going to defer to you because I feel like you have a lot of thoughts on how bad this is and we should probably let you go first. Go ahead. (laughs) That doesn't happen very often where I get to go first on the bad rating. I'm not going to hold anything back right here. This is a 10 bad. This is absolutely a 10 bad. It is (laughs) potentially the worst film we have ever like watched together and described on the podcast. So, 100% 100% of 10. Is that it? So should we just should I go to mine now? <laughs> well, hold on. Um, story, number one. There is no fucking story. 
There's literally nothing to this other than the Titanic crashes and some people end up on an island and they're assholes and they're chased by fucking puppets. That is it. That is the story. Okay. The acting uh-huh. is fucking atrocious. <laughs> I, I don't know that we've ever watched a film where the collaboration of acting talent has been worse than this and we've watched some bad fucking films. The editing, atrocious. Things don't make sense. Timing doesn't line up. Sounds. The sound effects are over the top, overblown, or non-existent. It is one or the other. Neither are good. The makeup, holy fuck. I will give them a lot of props, though, for the face first fall face melt. Amazing. Yeah, it's good. The unfortunate Where'd that part come is from? That's that, so happens, out of place in this movie. that happens in the first 20 minutes of the film. And then the makeup from there on out is atrocious. We get so many it's like skeletons without nothing. That's one of those situations where like you set the bar really high and then failed every time after that. Like that's how I would describe the makeup. Music and sound, garbage. Garbage. It's a 10. You, you, you talk about how bad it is. You're not wrong. Uh, like, I'm not exaggerating. 75% of this movie is just them wandering through the woods, occasionally getting attacked by puppets. Like you said, the acting is terrible. There's a reason you've never heard of the hot acting pipeline that funnels out of Connecticut. Like, I can't believe how bad some of these people are. <laughs> wow. You're going after Connecticut, hey? You're just throwing it out there. Fuck you, Connecticut. Yeah. Like, this is not... If this is indicative of the caliber of acting you have in this state, like, no. Stop it. To call these effects low budget is an insult to low budget effects. Like, I thought Mac and Me was going to be the benchmark for terrible puppet work this season, but this has thoroughly beaten it. Like, this is so, so bad. This is 80 minutes, and I feel like most of it was padding. So 100% I'm with you. It's a 10 bad. But how enjoyable did you find this on a scale of 1 to 10? How dare you say the puppeteering in this was the... Well, I guess you didn't say the worst part. You said it was, it was worse, worse than, than Mac and me, me, which is fair. Yeah. The puppeteering in this is the best part of the movie. But it's still terrible. I agree. It's yeah. not good. It's not good. The puppeteering yeah. is not good. But the parts that I did enjoy were the little puppets they created were funny. They were hilarious to laugh at when the prop people were throwing them on the characters during the scenes. That was enjoyable. The face melting when he went in acid, that was good. But everything else was fucking terrible. Like, it was only 80 minutes long, and I would say it was 60 minutes too long. There there are only 20 minutes of content in this entire film that I felt were worth watching of those 80 minutes. And... I know that that is pretty scathing, but it it really wasn't that enjoyable. This is a, like, pox on regional filmmaking. And I know we watch movies together to experience stuff that we haven't done before, but this, for me, d- just didn't have it. I had this as an enjoyability of three, which might, might be my lowest enjoyability score ever. I'm not sure, but it is pretty close to it. That's real low. Real low. Um I do not have it as low as you. Uh I agree with everything you've said. Like it is such a low quality production. But I found a lot of the same stuff funny that you did. The puppet attacks were like hilarious. The acting is bad, but it's so bad that in a lot of places I found it really amusing. The fact that uh this is like so low budget 
every time they reveal the dead body and it's a skeleton and the actors are fucking trying to pretend like it's seriously a dead body and not just a like Halloween skeleton they got from a fucking store is like hilarious to me. So I enjoyed this more than you for sure. I might even say that I enjoyed this like overall in the aggregate because like, I don't know, man, the fact that it's only 80 minutes, if this thing was much longer than this, I would have felt the exact same way as you. It's short enough that I was kind of like, you know what? I didn't waste that much of my time. It's funny to laugh at this shit. So I have it as a six enjoyable, not the least enjoyable movie that I've watched on this podcast for sure. Will I watch it again? Probably not. <laughs> We're getting to the economics of uh, purchasing this movie. Uh, I was going to say, I do now. own yeah. it, so I'm tempted to watch it at least once more just so just, I can... Just to know. justify the purchase. I understand that. And you know what? What I'm going to say is movie making in general does not produce enough like small original idea kind of concept stuff fuck not anymore we've talked about this like that that one of the reasons we look into the past for like 70s 80s movies even like 90s is because they just don't do that shit anymore and that's a goddamn shame and i and i am 100% in agreement with you on that and you know what i will never fault you for taking a chance at buying and sharing a movie with me that is something that wouldn't probably be made or produced today. Like, I'm happy that people are trying to be creative and make stuff. This just fell incredibly flat for me. I don't regret seeing it as an experience, but uh, it just, like, they miss the mark so hard, but I'm happy that it got made, and I'm happy that you bought it and shared it with me, if that makes sense. I mean, they can't all be winners, you know what I mean? That's the thing. We're kind of buying blind here in a lot of ways, and so, you know, you read the synopsis, you think it sounds good, you roll the dice, but that's kind of, it's a trial and error process, so. It, It just didn't have the, like, fun factor of many of the other bad movies we've watched. Like, some of them just have that strange, like, that was hilarious and fun where this didn't quite hit there. I was hoping it would with the puppets and it, it didn't it didn't to me reach that point where I thought that it could overcome its shittiness with the fun of the puppets. Fair enough. But how much fun did you have drinking this beer? What I'm going to say is I think this beer might be one of the best melds of my preferences and yours. Like they do a incredible job of making this palatable for people who enjoy hops and malt. Like it feels like it doesn't do too much of either. So it just becomes a really easy drinking IPA. This might be one of the most easy drinking IPAs I've ever had. I'm going to disagree with you here because, um, We've had other beers in this podcast, and I wish I could remember them now. We've kind of said this might be the perfect kind of middle ground for the two of us. This one for me just didn't have it. This was still like a little too hoppy. <laughs> that's funny because I do find that pale ales for us tend to hit a more even mark. Yeah, but of all the spot. IPAs we've ever drank, this one to me falls closer to like the malty rather than the hoppy side of it. But Oh, I yeah. What, what I was going to say was like... It is a more palatable IPA than a lot of ones we drank on this podcast. Like I would happily drink this over several others we've had. So in that sense, I agree with you. But overall, I feel like we've had better kind of middle grounds. Uh, I don't regret trying it, but uh, this one's kind of not for me, good robot. I might stick to their sour uh, Vembot, it's called. It's very available in Ontario and I think other parts of Canada. So more my speed, but, you know, whatever. Glad you had a good time. I mean, I'm not surprised you chose the more woke beer from uh the good robot friends Come on now you've been spending so much time with me it's just sort of rubbing off uh, on you it's the right <laughs> thing to do yeah. um 
I definitely suggest checking out Good Robot, though. And if you're ever in Halifax, definitely visit because they have some amazing stuff. And wherever you are, take a look because it seems like they have a lot of reach for a sort of East Coast Canada beer. They tend to be able to produce and push out beers that reach a lot more people than I would say East Coast beers on average do. Yeah, man, they ship to Ontario, which not a lot of beers will go cross province, but they do, so good on them. And I'm glad we got to try that today, along with the other good robot beers I've had. Not a winner, but they can't all be winners. I'll tell you what will be a winner, though, is two weeks from now, we're going to be catching up with an old friend of yours, Mr. Steven Seagal. (laughs) Oh, no. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck Steven Seagal. <laughs> that guy's an that's asshole. That's very aggressive. No, we're going to be watching a uh, an early '90s classic Seagal movie. It's going to be hard to kill in two weeks' time. Wow, just just like the fucking little puppets on this island, Steven Seagal is going to be difficult to take down. I'm sure he's going to be doing some fake martial arts and uh, pulling off some ridiculous one-liners in that bad boy. You're so anti-Seagal. We covered Under Siege a while ago in our second season, and uh, it's worth listening to. But this one, I think this will be a real treat. You know what? Good thing, too, because after this fucking episode, you're so down on this. We got to have a hit coming in a couple weeks, and this was like a legitimate hit movie. So I'm glad we're going to be watching and talking about Hard to Kill. We hope you'll join us for that. But in the meantime, if you haven't already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to send us emails, thebmbpodcast at gmail.com absolutely we love to hear from you hope you'll join us in two weeks for hard to kill uh until then i'm cooper and i'm nolan and we'll see you next time on bad movies and beer keep it regional i thought you were just telling everyone not to keep no, it regional. no fucking don't you're, keep you're it regional. On, that fucking shit like that. Regional keep it away from the region <laughs> who will survive the terror